Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Talking About Rock. I'm Rob Edwards. Today's guest has been working in studios for over 35 years. He has engineered, mixed, produced for every major label. And he's worked with such artists as Easy Top, B.B. King, John Denver, Dolly Parton, Molly Hatchett, Marie Osmond, Olivia Newton-John, and of course, our friends in Lost Circus. Please welcome Tom Harding from Tom Harding Productions to the show. Hello, everybody. How are you hey, doing? Tom. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? So, so quite the list there. I'm sure you got quite the stories to tell of, uh, oh, yeah. you know, different artists you work with and uh, the different albums that you're you a part of or, or helped out with. And, and I want to get to that. And I definitely want to get to the stories, uh, of course, about, you know, working with our friends out there in Lost Circus. And we're, and we're so glad that they're doing well. Um, but I kind of wanted to backtrack a little bit, if you don't mind. Because you've been doing this for quite a while, um, so yeah, can right you kind of college. yeah? Can you kind of tell our guests a little bit of of how how this how it started in the studios and how it's evolved? Obviously, we're into digital now and we're into streaming and things like that. But but back in earlier recordings, it was much more simplified things. It was simplified, but it was more complicated. So I started out as an assistant engineer, and back then we had the twenty four track analog tape machine. Well, the assistant had to get there an hour to two hours early just to align the tape machine. There's all these, in simplicity's sake, there's about six knobs that have to be turned for each track on a tape machine. And for every, if it come from one studio to the other, they're all set differently. So the assistant has to get there. He has to do that. And as an assistant, that's kind of what you're in charge of is that tape machine when I first started. If there had to be, if you finished a take, you have to slice leader in there and things like that. And it, it, things that we take for granted now in the digital world, like, oh, I hit this button and I go to a chorus, I'm there. Back then we had to watch the little counter on the, on the machine and write everything down. And then of course, tape wasn't as forgiving as digital. If you, right. cut, it, if you cut it too loud, that snare drum is shot and that take is shot. And another thing, and I kind of was, I got to have quite a reputation at this. I was good at cutting analog tape. So nowadays we can take multiple takes in Pro Tools and do what we call um, a playlist. And then we can combine the playlist. Well, back then we couldn't do that. We just had to take a take and be. So I got to where I could take the numbers down and listen to the takes. And so if the producer said, I loved take one's chorus, but the rest of the song sucked. And he said, but take three, everything was good, but that chorus, I could take and cut that chorus out of the take one and drop that in to take two. Now, of course, that took hours to do. And as again, now, boom, 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 we push three or four buttons. And right. I was going to say had to be a huge time consuming effort back everything. then. And when I first started, we didn't have automation. So when you're mixing, You've probably seen pictures where there's like six guys been over the console because everybody's moving or pushing a button at the same time. And if that one guy makes a mistake, then you're done. You're you're finished. A friend of mine, Steve Marcantonio, he was the assistant on that Jake Isles band centerfold. And he Great album. his only job was to ride the snare drum up and down in the choruses. And that's that was he was assigned that. So all those kind of things. 
again, one little mistake, you got to start over. Now it's all in the box and everything is much more simplified. And from a band point of view, things are a lot cheaper because bands were back in the heyday, analog tape for a two inch reel, which was about 15 minutes was costing them three or $400 a roll. Right. And yeah. Now you can go buy a hard drive for a hundred bucks. Right. Right. Exactly. So, exactly. When, when I was, when I was starting bands, when I was real younger, I would have given my right arm to have one of those nice, big, huge mixing boards that they have, you know, the big 24 track, you know, there was like, you know, right. $8,000 back in the day, but now you can do stuff with pro tools. And I know a lot of folks, you know, that we've spoken to, they'll do their, their basic stuff or their demo stuffs at home. And then they'll go to studio still to master. Right now, right now, I'm presently mixing an album for a guy named Adam Mitchell. And you may not know who Adam Mitchell is, but I guarantee you you've heard a bunch of Kiss records that he's written all the songs on. And so we did the opposite of this. We cut this at Sound Emporium. And then he lives up in Telluride and he goes and does all his vocals up there, sends me the vocals, and then I mix it here in my in my home studio. Right. So again, a lot simpler, a lot cheaper. We can move files all around. I remember I did a I don't know if you ever heard, there was a band called Kennedy Rose and they were signed to Sting's label and I co-produced them. And we wanted Sting to play bass on one of the songs. Well, Sting wasn't going to fly to Nashville to play to play bass on it. So we had to make a copy of the 24 track, then have it specially packaged. And then we had to counter to counter it from Nashville to London for some for one of the assistants in London to pick up and have sting put bass on it then it all had to come back to us in the exact same way so that took over a week to do and now we could do that in about two hours right right you can just send the file or whatever send him the file he plays it he can send it back to us even and ask us if we liked it or not and in fact when he did that just to be sure he did like three different passes i mean it's sting we're gonna like whatever he played but he did like three passes of it just to make sure he covered all bases. Right, right. So I want to talk about a little bit about some of the different techniques that are used in the studios, right? Or some of the um, backtracking or, you know, doubling or things like that. Sure. I, I know like like some of the real early artists, like I'll just take it for example, you know, they were like experimenting with things like, like the Beatles, they would do all kinds of different things or even Eddie Van Halen, he would try, you know, very odd different things, you know. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the studio techniques that you've used in the past? Well, yeah, doubling vocals, for instance, is a big example. They they set up a delay because they didn't have the tracks. You realize the Beatles only had four tracks. So if they wanted to do a double vocal, which is real common, they had to, they had to use uh, a delay box or something. I'm not even quite sure. You can now buy the plug-in from Waves that re, re, reproduces. But, but now we just create another track and do it. Backward stuff has always been real popular. And again, in the olden days of analog, you had you had a track sheet that listed what, it, what was on every song. Track one was kick all the way down to, to track 24. Well, the record backwards then you had to flip the tape. So you had to put a mark on the tape of where you wanted the backwards thing to happen. And then you had to calculate in your head, okay, if I want it on this snare beat, I've got to play the backwards snare beat a beat early. So then you flip the tape. And when you flip the tape, you had to write your track sheet backwards because 
if you if you went and put track one and record, you were really recording on track 24. So gotcha. back in the analog days, we had to even that, even to record a simple thing backwards, you had to sit there and start calculating things out and do things and then record it, flip it back and listen to, oh, it doesn't work. And of course, now again, in Pro Tools, we push a button, say, play backwards. Right, right. Were there also scenarios like where, where some artists maybe wanted to have to move some things in the studio around, maybe have some type of dampening or have some wall set up for, for a certain type of sound or more of a bassier type of sound or something? Well, yeah. Uh, you know, originally most studios were dead. If you've ever been to Sun or even the big RCA here, they were built really dead. It wasn't till the 80s that we started uh livening up studios and then you could go to studios like Arden in Memphis for instance what they've done is they built a really good live room but then they put drapes in it so they can move it because sometimes you don't want all that big reflection on the sound if you're if you're doing vocals you don't want the vocals to have a bunch of early reflection coming back but if you're doing drums you do so you, right. you move things around and you can literally take baffles, you know, people call them gobos or baffles. And we you create a room within a room to deaden things down for, for certain things. Again, right. depends. You don't want you don't want everything to have a lot of room sound. Right. You've worked with so many different artists. Has there been times where, where some of them have come in and say they really they really kind of understand the studio and they they understand what they want to get? out of it has there been some of those times where they're real oh, yeah. familiar it, with it? It, it it always seems like it's one or the other like right. you work with a good example is i used to work as an assistant for ricky skaggs ricky knew anything and everything he wanted he knew how to get that sound he knew he he even tours with a uh, a big road case full of expensive tube mics and everything so he he knows exactly like he'll say uh, I want to get this mandolin and, and I want that EMT 251 reverb and I want the AKG microphone on it and everything. He knows exactly what he wants and he's and he hears it in his head. Then you work with another producer or another artist and they'll say, well, I, I don't know what I'm what I want, but it sounds kind of like this or it sounds kind of like that. And that's where it gets expensive and long because you start experimenting around looking for things yeah i've read some articles and i've watched some interviews sometimes you know uh the producers really have the ear and they can a lot of times they can guide the artists and kind of they feel right. out what they want and they can say well let's try this or let's try that maybe that's what you're hearing in your head and i can i can help you with that and a lot of a lot of the earlier bands we we've talked to a lot of the newer bands uh they've they've even said because because they're newer to the studios and they don't understand all the different technologies yet so they were really, uh, really um, glad that they were guided by a lot of these folks to, to help them out in different aspects to, you know, to clean up the sound, make it crisper, or to even, even they would have an idea and it would make, it would kind of change the sound and make it more rich. And I always think of it, you always, you kind of think of a producer as you have a ball or a square, whatever you want to call, and the artist is inside of it. And that artist can move all around that, that circle they want until they get outside that circle. And that's the producer's job is to pull them back inside that circle because you never want to stifle your artist's creativity but you don't want them to get so outside that you as a producer know no one's ever going to get what they're trying to say right right i know some of the, the big uh, big names and producers like say ted templeman for van halen had quite the touch for them 
Um, Rob Rock, another another big guy. Right. Mutt Lang for ACDC, you know, gelled with them perfectly and, and understood, you know, what they were trying to do. I don't think we would have had some of some of the songs that we had if it wasn't for those folks. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's funny you say that. That's that's how Adam got involved with Kiss. He didn't he didn't know Paul or Gene at the time. The producer said, you guys need some help with your songs. You need to write with this guy. You know, Desmond Child is another, another perfect example. A lot of people write with Desmond because he has that touch of knowing how to make that that hit song. Yeah, when he started writing, I think for Aerosmith in the '80s, it really gave right. them a, a big bump. Definitely, exactly. you, you know, it was because they, they were re-energized. They were they were back from from that heyday of partying. They were ready to finally get to work. They were ready to write serious, you know, songs. And and you know, you you talked about Kiss there a little bit too. You could definitely tell from the early Kiss record stuff was very raw, very basic. And, and how that progressed and changed, you know, after after Destroyer came out, I think things started to really change for them. Well, and if you if you know anything about Kiss, they credit Eddie Kramer for changing their sound and giving them that edge that they were always looking for. Even though Eddie Eddie produced the live album, but then they didn't work again in the studio with him until what is it, Rock and Roll Over, and that's he, you know, he they really credit him. For helping them dial in a more heavy sound yeah i think everybody remembers that album for sure um they were talking about that today on the eddie trunk show about rock and roll over and destroyer all those were the, the defining records pretty much for kiss for sure exactly. but let's talk about some of the some of the stuff you worked on here okay. so we went through your list a little bit uh you got to work with zz top you worked with them on what pincushion and antenna yeah well i guess it's antenna and i actually worked the first record I worked on them with was the Greatest Hits record. So a funny story on that. I don't know if you're know, familiar with that Greatest Hits. There's uh, Viva Las Vegas on it. And that started out as Billy playing around with just a little sequencer in the, in, on the bus. And he sequenced Viva Las Vegas and put a scratch guitar track down. And then Dusty sang it backstage. And then the, he came to Nashville and we started adding guitars to it and uh, background vocals. And we, we hired these girl singers and they, he wanted to get really get that Vegasy sound. And uh, so we did all the, all the guitars. And I think, I think Dusty ended up re-singing it back in Memphis because Joe Hardy mixed it. I didn't mix it. I just did all the, the guitars and the background vocals on it. And that was my first introduction to ZZ Top, and the way I got introduced to them is that Kennedy Rose band that I worked with, they used a keyboard player who did all the programming for them and then also worked with ZZ Top and they were down in Houston struggling with guitar sounds. And I was kind of like the guy in Nashville that got the heavy guitar sounds because I'd worked with Intruder and all these bands. So they called me and they came into town and we cut guitars for a day. And then after that, I went, Billy would call me and he'd fly me to Houston and we'd work down in uh, his studio in Houston and do guitars. And he had me, he had produced a Rainer somebody for Elvis Costello's label. And I mixed that record down at his studio. And it was, uh, Billy was always just a real fun hang. Yeah, they, they were, when they first came out, I thought they were such an underrated band. And, but I oh, thought yeah. they were, um, they got an amazing sound from just the three guys 
you know, my favorite, was, my favorite Billy Gibbons story is we're struggling to get a guitar sound at his studio, you know, and he's like, I don't like that. I don't like that. And we finally plug this thing in and he plays it and it's just like, bam, that's Billy Gibbons. And he goes, what do you think of that? And I said, Billy, that's incredible. That sounds like legs. And all of a sudden, Billy Gibbons is in the studio serenading me and playing me legs and singing it to me on the guitar. And I thought, oh my God, I've died and gone to heaven. This is this is unreal. <laughs> What's well, gonna be one of their biggest, biggest hits ever, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, that that is so cool. Yeah, he's such an underrated uh guitar player for oh, sure. He really is. You know, really is. and then you know, losing Dusty and and things changing. And oh yeah, it was. Um, I I guess they're they're carrying on though. I haven't uh, I haven't are. seen them perform yet with with the newer guy, but yeah, they'll they'll always carry on. Billy will make sure it always carries on. Billy is actually royal Houston royalty, so he he doesn't want it to stop. That's excellent. Yeah. So you also worked with another legendary person, BB uh, King. You oh, worked yeah. with, with him as award for that record. Yeah, for his uh, Blue Summit record, that yeah. had to be had to be an amazing experience oh, to, to amazing. be in amazing. the same room with with BB King. I would just be like in shock. Yeah. <laughs> and he's the, the nicest man you will ever ever meet. And uh, and I, I don't know if you know anything about that record. What that is is BB decided to make a record where he did a duet with all the blues artists that he grew up with or that he participated. So all the chess records people and the Kent record people. So he, he had Etta on there and he had Buddy Guy and Albert Collins and, oh, I can't even remember, one of the Water sisters and one of the, or no, one of the Houston sisters. It was just a who's who of the, of the blues world. And when we we'd cut that in at Arden at, back in their B in their C room, and it was just every morning a new artist would come in, and we'd do one song start to finish, and then BB would go to lunch and take a nap, and then the evening would be the same thing. We'd come back with a different artist, and we'd do that. And here this guy's seventy some years old, and we're doing that. We'd finish the second song about eight nine o'clock at night. He'd jump in the limo and drive down to Beale Street and then play a full set every night for before, you know, we went to bed or anything. That was every night. We did that for 10 days. I mean, he was absolutely amazing. Yeah, it's such an amazing artist, you know, such a loss to the music world without him. Um, iconic, I, I, no one will ever replace him or, or, no. or, or yeah. be hit or emulate his style what he had was totally unique for sure. Yeah. Um, another artist that you got the chance to work with was also uh, Dolly Parton. I think you worked on the White Limousine yeah. album with her as yeah, well, right? White Limousine album. Yeah. I did. How was, how was that working with her? Now, she seems like a, a real down-home. Oh, she's she was so professional and so gifted. Nobody can believe it. A lot of her vocals are her scratch vocals. She's that good. She can walk in and one time and sing it and that's it. It's done. It's perfect. And I remember, and I can, now I'm embarrassed to say, I can't remember the name of the song, but there was a ballad on that record. That's nothing but vocal piano and strings. And she walked into the studio and she says, I just wrote this song. Can we cut it? 
And we're like, yeah, sure. She, she walked out to the piano, played it one time, they charted it, and she sang it down one time, and we were just like, wow. And it was, it was a number one. I just can't remember the name of the song, but it's on White Limousine. Which yeah, I just had four number ones on it. Yeah, she had, you know, such a string of songs. Everybody remembers her. Oh, yeah. It's kind of kind of odd to us in the rock world, though, that she's currently nominated to be in Rock Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah. So she's definitely a great artist in her own right. We, I just think that's a was kind of yeah. odd to see that. But we wish her nothing but the best of luck, obviously, of course. Um, you also got a chance to work with uh, Marie Osmond and Olivia Newton-John, too. Yeah, no, Marie, uh, funny story on the Marie Osmond thing. So I was the assistant engineer, Paul Worley, who, Paul Worley was a producer. My wife, before she was my wife, was his production assistant, was, was his production assistant. So that's how I met my wife, was through Paul Worley. And Ed C, I was his assistant, and he co-produced with Paul Worley. So one day we're mixing this song at Treasure Isle. That's where I was the assistant at. And uh, we 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 need some oh some splicing tape. They need me to, to edit something together. And I said, oh, Paul, we're out of tape. And he goes, Well, go next door. Brent Mayer's got a studio next door. Can you go over there and ask if you can borrow some? And I go, Yeah, sure. So I walk over there and I go in and I open the door to the studio and Brent Mayer is in there with an artist named Sylvia. I don't know if anybody remembers her. And they're mixing the exact same song that we're mixing. Really? And I, I just, I opened the door and I heard the song and I just closed the door and I ran as fast as I could back to the studio. And I said, Paul, they're mixing the same song next door that proceeded to be the, one of the biggest blow-ups I've ever heard in a studio <laughs> before. I mean, the phone lit up everywhere, but turns out it was two different writers and nobody told the other one that the other person had cut it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Crazy. Crazy. Yeah. But So so was that for, uh, for Marie? or That was, Marie was on Capitol and I think Sylvia was on MCA and I think, think both artists ended up scrapping it right they both got so mad that the other one wasn't notified that i don't think it ever came out by either artist right yeah that's probably probably the best way to go with that probably probably <laughs> avoid the lawsuits and the headaches and just yeah. uh press yeah. on right yeah so let's let's kind of get back to a little bit more rock and roll you got a chance to yes, work with do. with uh molly hatchet also back in the day also yeah so you worked with uh, them I had worked with Terry Manning, who was from Memphis, who he engineered Eliminator by uh, ZZ Top. And he came to town. And his first thing he came to town is, do you remember Jason and the Scorchers? Did you ever know them? Yeah. They were mm -hmm. originally Jason and the Nashville Scorchers. Then they became Jason and the Scorchers. Well, Terry, uh, he, he engineered and produced their record when I was the assistant at Treasure Isle. And uh, so we did that and we did another band called Tim Crackle. And one day Terry calls me and he's in Orlando and he's working with Molly Hatchet. And he said, do you think we could do, this is the craziest thing. He says, do you, do you think we could do all 10 songs, background vocals on all 10 songs on the Molly Hatchet record on so-and-so date? And I'm like, well, yeah, that's quite a bit, but I guess we could do it. Give it a try. <laughs> he, says, he says, okay. 
And he goes, I'll be there at 6 p.m. And I went, 6 p.m. We got to do 10 songs at six, starting at 6 p.m. So anyways, I get there. Like I said, I had to line the tape machine. And he goes, oh, by the way, we're going to do a sax overdub first. So Jim Horn comes in, who's played with the Rolling Stones and everybody. He comes in and puts a sax uh, overdub on. And then he hired three professional background singers to come in and sing. And we worked and we worked. And then Terry started singing with them. And I would say we went till about six in the morning, but we got all 10 songs done. I do remember, I didn't even go home that night. I just passed out in the studio. <laughs> so they must've been, they must've been a little under the gun to get that product out, to get did. that album out. Oh, he was mixing it. He left, he left that day, he left, that night drove to Memphis and started mixing it the next day. We Do you know what uh, what album that was they were for? Not under the gun to get it done. Do you know what Molly Hatchet album that was for? Mm, it's the one where the guy's sitting on the horse. Oh, okay, yeah. I don't know the I don't know the name of it, but I have a plaque somewhere in my room, but I don't know what. Yeah, I don't know off the top of my head. I'm not that uh, fluent with every Molly Hatchet. Album, I'm not they, either. but uh, unfortunately, I haven't, they haven't been around. The first album that uh, Danny is it Danny Joe? Was that the singer? Yeah, Danny Joe Brown. He had left the band and he'd come back, and that was the first album he'd done coming back. Oh, okay, yeah, because they, they made some changes, yeah, 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 definitely. It, it's, a, it's a good record, it just it was. I've never worked that hard in, in, for one and done that many songs in one day. Yeah, like you said, they were they were definitely uh, they must have been under the gun to get that out. Oh yeah, uh, dream that's that's got uh, dreams I'll never see on it, right? Yeah, yeah. What, I think that was the first. That was the first. Was that the first album? No, no. Because he's me, on the horse on the first album. Let me. Uh, um, that's okay. That's all right. I'll, I'll find it in a minute while we're. No, no, no worries. Yeah, don't worry about it. So we can move on. I thought I could find it quick on there. Um, so let's talk about our friends here uh, out there in Nashville, Lost Circus. Lost Circus. Yeah. Yeah. With, you know, Steve Livy and Kenny Knight. You know, they're friends yeah. of the show, and we 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 love what they're doing. And uh, tell us a little bit about working with them in the studio. Okay, where, so where the, how are the guys? Were they let's, giving, let's, giving let's, you crap? Let's, let's <laughs> this a little bit. So the connection to Lost Circus is Tom Gregory who's the drummer. I don't know if you know that. Now, Tom and I go back all the way back to college. So we were in college together. And oddly enough, we looked nothing alike, but our names were Harding and Gregory. And we saw, sat next to each other. Nobody knew who was Harding and knew who was Gregory. They called us the Tom brothers all the way through college. <laughs> so when we got out, we both, we, we were producing together. And then Tom had a band called Triple X and we did, a, we did some demos with them and they got close to a deal and, uh, but didn't get one. And then uh, our attorney called us and connected us with a band in Nashville called Intruder, who, if you know anything about Nashville, they're pretty legendary. And so Tom and I produced the first Intruder record and um, Tom went on, I got I I got a manager that handled me as, as a producer and engineer, and Tom went in went on to do video stuff, and so we 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 still hung out and did anything. 
when I got married, he was the best man at my wedding. So that's that's how connected Tom and I are. So uh, out of the blue, about right before the pandemic starts, Tom calls me and he goes, I'm in a new band and they're great. They are great. And I said, okay. He goes, I want you to produce this. And I went, well, let me hear it. And he sent me the stuff and I was like, wow, this stuff is really cool. So about the time everything started, we couldn't do much. And finally, one of the rehearsal halls opened up and we went there and uh, I sat in and the first rehearsal I went to, they didn't even have a bass player. Steve was playing bass, which he was hating by the by the moment. And then, <laughs> right. um, they started getting me some some demos and we started working some things out. And then, of course, they got Chad on bass and I went to the next practice. And I went, wow, where did this guy come from? I mean, freaking amazing. And so uh, over the months, I would go to rehearsals. I'd give some suggestions, you know, like, oh, let's try this on, on this. And always willing to work. Unlike a lot of younger bands, they never they never question anything. I was like, can we try this? And, and then I'd go, oh, that sucked. Forget I ever said that. And then other times, you know, it would it would be good. So uh, we got we rehearsed and we rehearsed and they rehearsed and they rehearsed. We decided to go in the studio. So we wanted to find a studio where we could just all be relaxed. So uh, we went out to a studio out here in Franklin called Dark Horse, which is just an old log cabin. And we basically over th uh, over Valentine's weekend, we camped out there. They have a full kitchen. Tom made us all steaks one night and everything. Went in there and um, just worked and worked and worked. Got our songs done. Uh, and then came home. And most of the guitars, Brian, who's just an amazing guitar player, he, would, he, he did the guitars at home. And Kenny, when it came, went over there, most, he did, Kenny did a little bit of guitars here and a little bass here at my place. But for the most part, all the guitars were done at Brian's. And then um, I did all the, Steve and I would, would just camp out on the weekends and do vocals. And Steve, I've worked with some, a lot of great vocalists. And I think Steve is probably the best I've ever worked with. That guy's just amazing big old guy he can sing high he can sing low you've heard it i mean his range on that record is just astronomical yeah we love the debut uh album from lost circus yeah. you know um you know our uh co-host you know jerry schmidt in nashville there he couldn't be with us tonight but you know he's friends with everyone and you know has known the guys for a while we love this stuff when i heard oh, it yeah. i thought this was great you know, and then I saw the the videos coming out, and you know, it was, oh yeah, it was, I, I hope things. When your drummer your drummer owns a, a video production company, that doesn't hurt, so, <laughs> right? Right. And, and yeah. that, that's the first. That's only the second record that I've ever engineered and produced that I didn't mix, and I just I, I wanted I wanted to bring in another another element to it, another a fresher. Someone to get a fresh take on it and give yeah, you a, a different take. So I actually hired Ryan Griffin, who started out way back when as my intern. When I owned a studio and he was in college, he started out as my intern. And then uh, he now has his own his own studio and everything. And we just 
would go in every week. Again, it was we were kind of weekend warriors. Show up on Friday night and and mix, 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 mix. The band would come in and out because they don't need to be there for the whole the whole time. And uh, a couple weekends, and we had what I think is just a great record. Yeah, I think it's I think it's fabulous. You know, I I think it's just going to keep moving forward. And I, and I love the track first track. She's a fire when they came out, and it was just oh yeah, sounds sounds excellent. And the, and the thing is, you know, some people say, oh, it sounds kind of '80s. Well, good because that's what we were going. <laughs> what was wrong with that time? Nothing yeah, was wrong. We you see, it to sound like a modern '80s record. Yeah, and I. And when people say it sounds 80s, I'm like, good, that's what we want. Yeah, you see so many 80s artists coming back now and touring, especially, oh, exactly. with, you know, especially with, you know, the, the streaming being the uh, being the product now. You don't really have an album that you're putting out all the time and you're selling it, you know, touring is the thing. So all these 80s artists are, are coming back around again, you know, obviously that's the... Uh, the time frame I grew up in and the music I love. And so, yeah, it was, when I heard it, I, I thought it was great. I loved it. Yeah. Um, thanks. thanks. Yeah. It was, it was just excellent. It was very, it was, it was nice to hear that come back with a fresh new band and a fresh take on that. Yes. Yes. Definitely. Very, very cool. Yeah, I loved it. it. It's, 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 it, and it's full of energy. It doesn't sound stiff because the guys all played in the studio together. We didn't piecemeal it together. I mean, Tom was out there playing drums. Brian and, and Kenny were playing guitar. I mean, it was everybody was going. And we met a added to it, but we went all down as, as a band. Steve, Steve giving it a hundred percent on every vocal. Excellent. Yeah, I really love it. So let's talk about the Nashville area there a little bit. It's kind of Jerry and I discuss this all the time. It's become the mecca for music it was it used to be just like the landmark for country style type music but now it's 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 grown to be everything there's so many artists that have moved there uh, so lives here so many different things going on you guys got different shows different festivals so many clubs so many different styles there's the rock and pod thing that happens there so much so much going on you you guys got to be really busy now different stuff well, uh, and it's funny i went uh, a friend of mine asked me if I wanted to go see Alice Cooper with her the other night. And we, or no, not the other night, it was a couple months ago. But we went to see Alice Cooper. And she goes, Oh, that's my next door neighbor. And that was the bass player. I mean, <laughs> everybody lives here. It's yeah, crazy. yeah. Yeah, we were, we were going to actually, I was going to go catch that show in Nashville a couple months ago, but I, I wasn't yeah. able to do it. it I, I really wanted to see that show. tour. Yeah, I love Alice and I love Ace Freely. You know, I really guys, wanted to of course, see that. All the guys in Ace's band are from here. Right. That's that's another thing. Yeah. They all live here. That's, Everybody lives here. There's so many people. Yeah. Um, Billy Sheehan from Buffalo. You know, he he lives out there now. So, so oh, many, does he? I didn't know that. Yeah. He lives out there. There's so many folks have, have moved out there because there's just there's just so much going on. It's it's like a hotbed now for for different music styles, up and coming bands. You know, well, I, I, I see new acts really all the time. The best session musicians in the world live here for, for instance this record i'm working on now of adams mike brignardello plays bass on it well you, you don't know the name mike brignardello but i guarantee you, you know the band giant and mike was the bass player in giant along with along with dan huff who's now one of the hottest producers in in nashville so yeah everybody lives here now yeah and the other band that came out of there recently we talked to a while back naked gypsy queens 
Okay. Came from from out there, and there there's always new music. We're going to be talking to another band in another month or so, Lydia's Castle, from out there. They're they're releasing new material. It's just it yeah. just keeps shifts keeps coming from out there, which is you know, which is excellent. Tom Kiefer lives here, of course. The Cinderella guys. The oh, that's all you had to tell me. I'll, I'll be out there. I love Tom Kiefer stuff. Yeah. I, so he lives here, and and Dave Mustaine. Now, Nashville's a really weird place because you know we're right in the middle and it's not very narrow. So at one end of the state is Kiefer in a town called Hendersonville. And the other end is Mustaine in a town called Franklin. And they're only about 50 miles apart, but they're almost, one's almost in Alabama and one's almost in Kentucky because we're, we're a very narrow state. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to catch Tom. If he, if he puts out something and starts touring again, I really, really want to catch his uh, solo tour. I loved him back in the day with Cinderella. It was, it was great. Oh Yeah. Mark Slaughter, he lives here. Yep, yep. Actually, yes, Slaughter's going to actually be coming to Buffalo. We got a couple of shows coming up uh, in Buffalo. Slaughter's coming to Buffalo. Uh, Hair Nation, a local Buffalo band with Jim Crean's going to be open for them. Um, Stephen Piercy, the voice of Rats, going to be coming here also. So that'll be cool coming up this summer. Um, wow, what else? Yeah, Quiet Riot's coming back here. Ruby Sars obviously back in the band. Um, so, so yeah, we're starting to get, we're starting to get some shows, some shows back here, uh, different things happen. Actually, I'm going to see, uh, matter of fact, I'm going to see Jack Russell's great white Saturday. Oh, you are? Yeah. I got, are going to be here. Yeah. So I've, I've been looking forward to see great white for, for a long time. I never got to see him back in the day. So we need it, to get it, the lost circus boys up there. I know. That's what I told them. I go, when are yeah. you guys coming out this way yeah, to play to some, to play some there. shows? You know, definitely. We're going to look around and see, you know, what we can hook them up with. Cause I, I'd love to see them come out here. You know, definitely. That would be, that would be great that for sure. Be perfect. You know, they definitely, uh, there's not, there's not as many bars and different and venues out here as, as you guys got out there. You guys got so much stuff out there going on. You got <laughs> yeah. Bowie's. You got the basement east. Um, I, I don't even know if Jerry was on here. He could name them all off the top oh, of his head. And, and you know they come and go under a new name, but we're, yeah, we got so many places. They got that. What is that place out in Murfreesboro now? They have. Uh, I can't even think of it. Spring, not Springwater. I can't think of it. There's a big outdoor venue, like a three thousand seat outdoor venue in Murfreesboro now. There's a, there's a lot of places. Yeah, there's there's so there's so many shows going on. It's 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 just crazy. I I, I got to get out there. I'm gonna have to go out there and, and bug and visit Jerry for a while. We're gonna have to we're gonna have to hit up some clubs yeah. and, and check some Come stuff on. out. That that'll be such a great time. You know, I can't I can't wait to do that. You know, as things open up uh, this summer, because looks like we're trending in the right way. You know, yeah. knock on wood. Let's 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 not uh, let's not I think jinx by it. Summer, I think everything should be back to normal. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. So that, that's definitely the way it's turning. You know, we're starting, I'm starting to see uh, different shows being booked and different artists come out here, um, different tours being announced. I knew, I know the kiss tour is starting back up. Scorpions are going to be going back Scorpions. out on tour. Uh, um, did I say Queensryche? I think. Oh yeah. Queensryche is, is, yeah. is coming back. And there, I think they're, they're playing with Judas Priest, I think. Right. Yes. I think they're yeah. playing with yeah. Priest yeah. who I'm going to, I'm going to have to say this. Who needs to be in Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? If you folks are listening, vote Judas Priest, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, heavy metal. Let's get it done. So there's my plug for that. There you go. Because <laughs> uh, I, I think they need they need to be in there. We need to make well, that happen. We kind of got Rush in there, so we ought to be able to get Judas Priest in there. I I, I know. I I just I just don't understand. I don't understand it. I mean, 
I, I know they may need to make certain people happy and they need to do certain things, but there's just some things that uh, us as fans, they, we, we don't understand, you know? Right. You know, like, I, like nothing against Eminem, but, but I don't know why he's on the list, okay? I don't understand that. <laughs> when you go to the Hall of Fame, there's quite a few people you wonder why. Yeah, I was there a couple of years ago, and I'm actually going to be going again with my girlfriend coming up in March. We're going to go back out, and I'm going to I'm gonna do a little stuff from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and if uh, oh, cool, yeah, and if uh, if if some of these numbers don't come up, I'm gonna to have to we're gonna to have to slam because I know lots of people are not happy with with stuff they do, you know. Well, and, even my son, my son who's 24 years old, is now like into all this 80s pop stuff, like Journey and Ario Speedwagon and all these people, and he's going, "Why is a band like Sticks not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame?" I mean, exactly. He goes, "Dad, they've had tons of hit records. Whether you like them or not, they've yep. done a ton of stuff." And yeah, I, I saw them this past is. summer at a at a at a Erie County Fair out here this past summer. They were phenomenal. Were Sounded they? amazing. He wants, he wants me to take. He goes, oh, "Let's go see him." The show was great. The vocals oh, cool. were great. Tommy Shaw sounded amazing. Oh, definitely go see him. You know, Gowan. Okay playing piano for them was was the totally the right fit you know cool. it, it was such an awesome show my uh, my girlfriend we took her we took her daughter who who's 14 and she's she saw sticks and she was like blown away <laughs> she was like blown she's Did like what is realize that people used to really sing and move around yeah stage. she was she was like what is what is this and she's like wanted more and more and like her eyes yeah. were glued to the stage i'm like this is how rock and roll is meant to be these guys are the that's real why deal. lost circus is around exactly lost circus is definitely the real deal also for sure i i hope they 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 kick on a tour and they start moving around and somebody picks them up uh that, that would be outstanding to see them you know come around the circuit you know it's all gonna it all come together for them it's it's there so let's let's talk about about you and, and what's going on with you so you have your own production company yeah i i actually have two production companies i i do the the rock thing and then i i have a side that does more country kind of stuff and that's called h2 productions i do it with a another a songwriter friend of mine named tw hale and so we have we have this one country guy named dennis ledbetter we just produced his 16th number one on the independent charts and he's he's about as hardcore country merle haggard as you can get but um really fun i'm i'm doing the adam record and then i think i i introduced you i think you're going to interview gene hadley yes mm -hmm. from knoxville yeah, so we're, yeah we're trying to connect with gene yep i just finished gene's record gene used to be yeah because gene had a uh, uh an outing with a hockey puck and he does right play. right he told us yeah <laughs> unfortunate <laughs> unfortunate um, collision you know, yeah he was in a band that tom and i produced way back when called hard knocks and we did a we did an album for them and uh they went they they eventually they they actually fired gene and hired rick rule to be their singer and then rick went on to be the lead singer in every mother's nightmare and uh, Gene, Gene and I actually used to teach college together too. But anyways, this summer, I just finished rebuilding my deck and I was sitting there admiring it. My phone rang and Gene says, Tom, Tom, can you mix my record? And 
all these guys during COVID were making records at their house. Right. That's what all the artists were doing because they couldn't tour. So they were writing. We were talking about passing files around. Yep. Yep. You couldn't go see somebody, but you could record and then send the files. I did another record for a guy named Joel Shoemake, who happens to be, who I've known for years and also happens to be Steve Libby's best friend in Lost Circus. And he had the same thing. He goes, man, I got this record. Can you mix it? So same thing mixed it passed files around and uh ended up getting that one done so because of covid it's been really busy I, i'm producing an artist in australia same thing he sends me a guitar vocal and that's it and a click track and then i build a track for him and uh mix it for him and send it back so staying pretty busy i try to i tell myself i'm semi-retired but I'm not sure I'm as, as as retired as I think I am. It sounds like you're a busy guy and, and you're doing like what a lot of people are doing. You're, you're doing your house stuff, building a deck. A lot of, a lot of folks yeah. were doing that too. Oh, I know. That was a pandemic thing. Working right. Out. Right. The labor, the lumber prices were going like through the roof. Yeah. Tell me about right? it. Right. Yeah. Crazy stuff. I know. I know. So you've done everything. You've used all kinds of different varied songs from you know, country to rock to to blues, you, you, yeah. you got you got all the different different things you've had your hands and that's great. If artists want to reach out to you or get a hold of you, what's the best way for them to do it to contact you if they, they want to get contact me on Facebook, Tom Harding, or my email is tHardingProductions at iCloud. And feel free to contact me or they can call me. I don't care. It's 615-498-8865. And yeah always always willing to listen to somebody and 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 see what we got going on and you can they can pass your files and you can do it electronically files. we can go if they want to cut a track we can go to the studio um i know all the studios in town studios in canada i've worked all over the united states so you know whatever whatever an artist is comfortable with you know some artists want to stay at home some artists want to want to come out go out of town so it just it just depends. Yeah, there's there's so many different uh, bands that have formed and upcoming stuff going on. So yeah, I'm sure you're gonna I'm sure you're gonna get a lot of a lot of business going on over the summer and stuff. But so folks out there, if, if you uh, you have projects and stuff you're working on, you know, get a hold of Tom before his list gets filled up here, <laughs> and uh, he he doesn't have time for you until next year or something like that. So until the uh, until the next pandemic, which we oh, hope never happens. We hope that yeah, we hope we're all done with this. Thanks. so so great so good to speak with you tom really appreciate, Thanks, appreciate it, folks. it so excellent so if you folks uh, want to hear more from us or you have comments or questions please feel free to email us at talkingaboutrock at gmail.com please like us and follow us on facebook instagram and twitter and as always if you want to see this interview and more interviews please check us out on our youtube channel tom thank you so much for being with right. us tonight we appreciate it man i appreciate it much success in the future we hope we'll hear from you again man all right. Thanks a lot. All right. Have a good night. You too. Bye.